Well, we spent a couple weeks in Daniel chapter 7 because it ties in so well with what we've been studying here in Revelation chapter 13. This week we're not going to devote an entire Sunday to Daniel 9, but we will be looking at part of Daniel 9, but we're going to start off in Revelation. We're going to pick it up in verse 5 and go through verse 10 of Revelation 13. So let's read those verses together, Revelation 13, 5 through 10. And he, the beast, also known as the Antichrist, he was given a mouth, speaking great things and blasphemies, and he was given authority to continue for 42 months. Then he opened his mouth in blasphemy against God to blaspheme his name, his tabernacle, and those who dwell in heaven. It was granted to him to make war with the saints and to overcome them, and authority was given him over every tribe, tongue, and nation. All who dwell on the earth will worship him, whose names have not been written in the book of life of the Lamb, slain from the foundation of the world. If anyone has an ear, let him hear. He who leads into captivity shall go into captivity. He who kills with the sword must be killed with the sword. Here is the patience and the faith of the saints. Let's pray. Father, we lift up this time in your word this morning. We know that um, Revelation has a lot of imagery, a lot of symbolism, requires a little more digging deep to get to the true meaning of what's happening here, but you've been helping us with that, and we know that you'll continue to do that today. So we ask you to bless this time of study in your word, and we thank you, God, that you are faithful as the good shepherd to feed your sheep, and we ask that you would feed us today from your word. Your word is our spiritual food. It is our manna from heaven. We ask you to bless this time of study now. In Jesus' name, amen. So he was given a mouth, speaking great things and blasphemies. And this relates to what we've been looking at uh, the past couple weeks, that the, this coming one world leader, the Antichrist, the beast, uh, is going to actually, halfway through the tribulation, proclaim that he indeed is God. And so this statement here, he was given a mouth speaking great things and blasphemies relates to his claim to be God. 2 Thessalonians 2, 3 through 4. We're probably going to be, we've been reading this verse and we'll probably read it some more even after today. But let no one deceive you by any means. And he's writing to the Thessalonians who were confused about the, the rapture of the church, the second coming of Christ. Some false teachers had come along and had gotten them upset telling them that they had missed it, that the rapture had already taken place, and so forth. So Paul is trying to assure them that there are certain events that must take place before that happens. They had not missed the rapture. He says, let no one deceive you by any means. The Jehovah's Witnesses actually teach that Christ already came back. It was a secretive coming that happened about 100 years ago, actually. So I wish Jesus would get on the stick and fix this place. But uh, they had predicted his coming, and when it didn't happen, they just changed it into a secret coming. And Jesus even warned about that. When people say, he's over here, he's over there, he's in the secret place, don't believe them, Matthew 24. Let no one deceive you by any means. 
For that day, and in my Bible, day has a big D because it's a very important and special day. It's the day of the Lord, which is not just one day as we've talked about over and over again, but it's a series of events. The day of the Lord. Different people break it down differently, but I break it down this way, that the day of the Lord begins with the rapture of the church, the tribulation, which is the outpouring of God's wrath on an unbelieving world, the rapture, the tribulation, the second coming of Christ, and His millennial kingdom on the earth. That's all part of the day of the Lord. Man has had his day. We've had 6,000 years just so that God could prove to us how we're not capable of managing this planet. And now it's going to be God's turn. That day will not come unless the falling away comes first. And we've covered this as well. There are two major beliefs on this falling away. And I think both apply. One, the Bible clearly tells us that there will be a great falling away from the faith in the last days. And it's secondly, the snatching away of the church. And both of those events will trigger the rise to power of this one world leader. And we're really living in the only time in human history where this is possible. There have been other great, so-called great world leaders, dictators, but they've never been able to control the entire planet until now because we have satellites, we have internet, we have computers, we have cell phones, we have mass communication of every kind. You can stage a war from a control room in some military base here in the United States using drones and bomb people halfway around the world. This is the only time in human history where this could be fulfilled. Never could have happened before. So we have the falling away and the man of sin is revealed. The son of perdition. Now, another guy was called the son of perdition. His name was Judas, remember? And he was the son of perdition because he actually became personally indwelt by Satan. The Bible tells us that, that Judas, Satan entered into him. This will happen with the Antichrist as well. Now, the devil doesn't just enter anybody and everybody. He picks out very specific certain individuals. Perhaps Adolf Hitler would be one. He would be the first one to come to mind, probably. But it doesn't happen every day, but it's going to happen again when Satan enters the Antichrist, the son of perdition, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped, so that he sits as God in the temple of God, that temple which hasn't been rebuilt yet, but will be rebuilt at the beginning of the tribulation, or just leading up to it. Somewhere right at that beginning point, the Jews will be able to again establish their temple worship and sacrifice. But halfway through the tribulation, the Antichrist is going to walk into that temple and proclaim himself to be God. He sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. The greatest form of deception is self-deception, and he will definitely be self-deceived. To be convincing in deceiving others, it really helps if you deceive yourself, doesn't it? Because then you can really sell it. In some circles, that's called a pathological liar. Okay, and he was given authority to continue for 42 months. 
He will be given authority to blaspheme God and keep up his charade as the God of this world. And then the real God is going to pull the plug when Christ returns and defeats him in Revelation chapter 19. Now some argue that he was given authority to continue for 42 months. Some argue they believe that the Antichrist will only be in power for the last half of the tribulation. I disagree with that. I simply believe that this verse is referring to that period in which he proclaims himself to be God. And this is where his tyranny will really be unleashed. Prior to this, the Scriptures tell us he will be seen as a man of peace by most people. He is the Antichrist. Jesus is the Prince of Peace at his first coming. He came as the Prince of Peace to bring peace to the hearts of mankind by giving us relief and release from sin. He came as the Prince of Peace, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. When he returns, he's coming as the Lion of the tribe of Judah. But the Antichrist will be a fake, phony, false man of peace. 1 Thessalonians 5.3 For when they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman and they shall not escape. We saw this earlier on in Revelation where the four horsemen of the apocalypse, the first one to come forth is on a white horse that is actually the Antichrist, the white horse representing peace, but it's a false peace. Now we're going to look at Daniel 9 for a moment, beginning of verse 24. This is called Daniel's 70 weeks. Each week represents a year. Seventy weeks, or 490 years, are determined for your people and for your holy city. Who were Daniel's people? The Jews, right? Where was their holy city? It was Jerusalem. So he's speaking specifically about the Jewish people and the holy city of Jerusalem. To finish the transgression, to make an end of sins, to make reconciliation for iniquity. Now these, this first part, Jesus accomplished these things when he died on the cross. But then to bring in everlasting righteousness, that's yet to come when Christ returns to this planet to seal up vision and prophecy and to anoint the most holy. That would be Jesus, to anoint him as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the command to restore and build Jerusalem, at the time, Jerusalem was in shambles. It had been destroyed by the Babylonians under Nebuchadnezzar. The temple had been, the first temple had been destroyed. So from going forth of the command to restore and build Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince, there shall be seven weeks, 49 years, and 62 weeks, 434 years, for a combined total of 483 years. That leaves seven years unaccounted for so far. The commandment to restore and rebuild Jerusalem was given by Artaxerxes Longimanus on March 14, 445 B.C. I love the specificity of the Word of God. No other so-called religious document can even come close to matching the Bible's specificity and accuracy. 
So that commandment went forth on March 14, 445 B.C. And after the 62 weeks, so you have the seven weeks and then the 62. After the 62 weeks, Messiah shall be cut off, but not for himself. Jesus was cut off. He rode into Jerusalem on the donkey on April 6, 32 A.D. He was cut off. He did not receive his earthly kingdom at that time. He was crucified. He rose from the dead three days later. And then he ascended into heaven just prior to Pentecost. So he was cut off, but not for himself. He was cut off for you and I. He was crucified for us. Now, the Jewish and the Babylonian calendars used a 360-day year. So here's where we get really specific. 69 weeks or years of 360 days totals, if you multiply that out, it totals 173,880 days, if you're taking notes. 173,880 days. Essentially, Gabriel told Daniel that the interval between the commandment to rebuild Jerusalem until the presentation of the Messiah as king when he rode into Jerusalem on the donkey would be exactly 173,880 days. Jesus presented himself as the Messiah on Palm Sunday, sometimes known as the triumphal entry, and it is believed that this occurred on April 6, 32 A.D. When you examine the period between March 14, 445 B.C. and April 6, 32 A.D., and you correct it for leap years, you discover that it is, in fact, 173,880 days exactly to the very day. I don't know about you guys, but I find that pretty amazing. So again, we see Daniel receiving all this very specific information about things that would happen more than 2,000 years, 3,000 years after he received the information. As we move on to verse 26 of Daniel 9, the people of the prince who is to come, and that is, by the way, the same guy, the beast, the Antichrist, the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city, Jerusalem, and the sanctuary. The end of it shall be with a flood until the end of the war desolations are determined. Again, this is pretty much universally understood to be the Antichrist. There are some who would differ with that, but especially those I consider to be really well-versed and well-educated in prophetic matters understand and believe that this is referring to the Antichrist. The people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. Now, the Romans did this in 70 A.D. This has already happened once in the past. And so based upon this, the people of the prince who is to come, the commonly held belief for some time has been that the Antichrist will come to power through what could be described as a revived Roman Empire or the European Union. Now, in recent times, it seems that the European Union could be disintegrating. It seems to be losing its momentum. We had Brexit, where the 
United Kingdom pulled out of the EU. There are others who have threatened to do the same. So it's hard to tell whether the EU is becoming stronger or falling apart. But the United Nations and the International Court in The Hague do seem to be gaining more and more power and influence in the world. Now, as you know, the one world government, economy, and religion revealed in Revelation is called Babylon, right? Babylon the Great. And so that harkens back to the time of King Nebuchadnezzar, the Babylonian Empire, which would seem to connect it to Iraq, Mesopotamia, the Middle East, Islam. There has been a recent trend with some, again, some I would call experts or well-studied in this area who are promoting an alternate theory of an Islamic antichrist. And yet, at some of the prophecy conferences I've been to, other prophecy gurus, if you will, believe that America is Babylon, at least the system, the Babylon system, the monetary system, the one world government, religion, and monetary system. Regardless of we talked about this previously as well, that even Adolf Hitler proclaimed that his Reich, the Third Reich, which he intended to go on for a thousand years, he considered that to be a revival of the Roman Empire. So it's perhaps more than a geographical location, it's the spirit behind it. And we know what spirit that is, right? It's the spirit, it's the mentality, it's the whole uh, demonic, satanic system behind it. Verse 27 of Daniel 9, then he, the beastie boy, there was a rap group called the Beastie Boys. I think they're still around. They're getting older now. Then he shall confirm a covenant with many for one week. One week equals seven years. Remember, 70 weeks, 490 years. So this is where we get to account for this final week of what we call Daniel's 70 weeks. There's been a gap because Messiah was cut off, creating a gap that we now know as the church age, the last 2,000 years where the gospel has been spread all over the planet, and Jesus said that that would happen before he came back. Thanks to the efforts of many missionary groups, the gospel has gone to pretty much every corner of the earth and translated into myriad languages. And again, through the means of satellites, internet, you name it, the Word of God has gone out like never before. But there seems to be a diminishing return, which ties in with this apostasy, this great falling away. Because even though we probably could say that God's Word is more accessible and more available now than it ever has been, it seems like there's a diminishing return. I was going to share this statistic last week, and I forgot. Latest study, latest survey in the United States tells us that 46% of millennials either don't know, don't care, or don't believe that God exists. Are you tracking with me here? For, that's almost 50%, 46% of millennials either don't know, don't care, or don't believe that God exists. Okay? 
Houston, we have a problem. In Hebrews chapter 11, it says that God rewards those, those who diligently seek Him. Without faith, it is impossible to please Him, for he who comes to God must believe that He is, or that He exists, and that He is a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. So when you've got almost 50% of millennials don't even believe that He exists or don't care, that's a problem. He shall confirm a covenant with many, many. And so there are a number of nations, obviously, surrounding Israel in the Middle East who want to destroy them. And even beyond that, I mean, you know, a large part of the world really would like to destroy Israel. Why is that? Why would there be so much hatred against this little tiny country just minuscule country in the Middle East. Could it possibly be because they're the apple of God's eye? Could it possibly be because they're God's chosen people? Could it possibly be because the Savior of the world is Jewish? Absolutely. So he's going to confirm a covenant or a peace treaty, if you will, with many for one week for seven years. And that's why they shall say peace and safety because obviously no matter how much we try to look the other way, the Middle East continues to be the hotbed. In fact, I just read where with the withdrawal of the U.S. troops from Afghanistan, uh, the Taliban's taken over again. Surprise! <laughs> and there's rumors that the uh, ISIS may be reemerging in the Middle East as well. In the middle of the week. So again, I mentioned how some people think he won't rise to power till halfway through, but he makes the covenant or the peace treaty at the beginning of the week, you see. So he's already there in a prominent role. The fullness of his evil has not yet been revealed. It will be halfway through. In the middle of the week, three and a half years into this seven-year tribulation, he shall bring an end to sacrifice and offering. Again, that hasn't begun yet, but it will begin at the beginning of the tribulation with the rebuilding of the temple in Jerusalem. He will bring an end to sacrifice and offering. Why? Because it's no longer needed because he's God. And on the wing of abomination shall be one who makes desolate, even until the consummation which is determined is poured out on the desolate. So this is the final week, the final seven years of Daniel's prophecy. There's a gap between the 69th and 70th week of about 2,000 years. Between April 6, 32 A.D. and, or rather the crucifixion when he's cut off, the following Friday, Good Friday, until this current time that we're now in. So the Antichrist, the beast, will be the initiator, the instigator, the orchestrator of a peace treaty between Israel and her Middle East enemies. In the middle of the week, he'll bring an end to offering, sacrifice and offering. So for the first half of the tribulation, the Jews will be allowed to rebuild their temple, reinstitute blood sacrifice and so forth. But at the midpoint of the tribulation, when the Antichrist proclaims himself to be God, the sacrifices and offerings to the true God will cease. Let me read this next part 
from the NIV, it's, it's easier to understand. On the wing of abominations. So it says, And at the temple he will set up an abomination that causes desolation until the end that is decreed is poured out on him. And we see a little later here in Revelation 13 that that is the image of himself that's set up in the temple. 2 Thessalonians 2.4, again, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped so that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. And that's, see, he's going to be personally indwelt by Satan. Satan, his fall was precipitated by his desire to take God's place in heaven. He said, I will be like the Most High. I will ascend above the stars of heaven. Satan was not satisfied with being the number one angel, the worship leader in heaven, the most beautiful of all the angels. He wanted God's position. And so he was cast out. He's been trying ever since to make a comeback. This is his biggest final opportunity to try and establish himself as the God of this world. Matthew 24, 15, and 16. Jesus says, Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet... Now, I mentioned a couple weeks ago, about 160 B.C., Antiochus Epiphanes, who had invaded Israel, he was one of the uh, recipients of a portion of the, the former... Uh, kingdom or, or empire of Alexander the Great ruling up in Syria, Antiochus Epiphanes sacrificed a pig on the altar in the temple in Jerusalem. And so for those who don't buy into uh, prophecy the way we do, they're called preterists. They believe everything's already happened. It's all over and done with. So why are we still here? I don't get it. Well, they believe that that was the abomination that causes desolation. And certainly you could make that case sacrificing a pig on the altar of the temple in Jerusalem. But again, we see history repeats itself. You know that expression, right? And we've seen tyrants rise up down through the centuries, and people have thought, okay, this must be the Antichrist. This is him for sure. But no, it wasn't him, but it was an Antichrist, a type of the Antichrist, a forerunner, if you will, and so we know that the coming abomination of desolation that will take place halfway through the tribulation is not the same as the one that took place in 160 B.C. because Jesus refers to it here as a future event. Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet standing in the holy place, whoever reads, let him understand... Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. We saw that happen in chapter 12 of Revelation where they mounted up on the wings of a great eagle which we believe is some type of an aircraft carrying these believing Jews to safety in Jordan, to Jordan, in the rock fortress of Petra. Let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. The abomination of desolation will create the flight of the believing Jews that we read about in chapter 12. The non-believing Jews, either the ones that are not devout practitioners of Judaism or 
Messianic Jews, which there will probably be quite a large number by this time. The ones that are atheists, secular Jews, they'll probably embrace the Antichrist as God. But those who know better will flee. And there will be a great unleashing of persecution upon them, unfortunately. All right, verse 6. Then he opened his mouth in blasphemy against God to blaspheme his name, his tabernacle, and those who dwell in heaven. So at the midpoint of the tribulation, we've already seen all the bad stuff that's going to happen on the planet, but as this Antichrist comes forth as a false man of peace, people will probably try to keep an optimistic outlook up to this point. But all bets are off at this point where God is concerned. It could be that this is the point at which Satan actually enters him. I would suspect that is the case. And remember also, as we saw in chapter 12 of Revelation, Satan's thrown down to the earth at that point. Okay, verse 7, It was granted to him to make war with the saints and to overcome them, and authority was given him over every tribe, tongue, and nation. Now again... Sometimes people get confused. Well, I thought we weren't going to be here. How is he going to make war with the saints and overcome them? Because these are tribulation saints. These are people who get saved during the tribulation. Yes, that will happen. In fact, I've told you more than once, I believe the greatest revival in the history of the church will take place not while we're here, but right after we're gone. Because millions of people will realize that everything we've been telling them is true. Those who don't buy into the alien narrative. And by the way, have you noticed how amplified and magnified the whole alien UFO thing has gotten lately? Isn't that interesting? Our good friend L.A. Marzulli has been warning about that for years. And I've talked about it too. Can you think of a a more reasonable, rational explanation to the unbelieving world of why all these millions of people are gone? Close encounters, baby. Right? The idea is, you see, that we conservative, Bible-believing, Jesus-loving, God-fearing Christians are the fly in the ointment when it comes to moving our planet forward, you see. We're what's holding everything back. Actually, what we're holding back is all the evil that's going to be unleashed. But they believe we are the evil. And so the superior alien life forms, demons, they're going to take us away in their spaceships to their planet to re-educate us so that we can get on board with the program. (laughs) That's what they're saying, folks. That's what they're believing All the tinfoil hat, crystal-wearing New Agers out there and so forth. But see, the government's beginning to come around now and beginning to admit, oh yeah, there really are UFOs. They're real. Talked about how the Vatican's looking for them. They're ready to baptize them. They'd probably melt like the Wicked Witch of the West if you immerse them in water. So, again, don't be dismayed, don't be confused. When it's granted to him to make war with the saints, we won't be here. These are the folks who get saved during the tribulation, 
and for the most part, they will be tested and martyred for their faith. That's why it says he's granted to make war with the saints and to overcome them. Only in a, in a temporary sense are they overcome because their physical lives are taken from them for their faith. But it's a temporary defeat because, again, anytime any believer loses their life here on earth, they're immediately going to the presence of God. By God's grace, they will be saved, having missed the rapture, but they will pay a high price for waiting. That's why the Bible says today is the day of salvation. Now is always the time to get right with God. You, know, you never know how much time you have left. Only God knows. Now is always the time to get right with God, to acknowledge Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, to receive the sacrifice that He made on the cross for your sins, to confess your sins, to repent before God, and become a born-again follower of Jesus Christ. Authority was given him over every tribe, tongue, and nation. Again, this could only be possible in this time in which we're now living, that he could have dominion over the entire planet. And it will be given to him by whom? Satan. With God's approval. In Matthew 4, 8, when Jesus is out there in the wilderness of Jordan, by the Jordan River, fasting, praying, 40 days, 40 nights, the devil comes to tempt him. Verse 8, again, the devil took him up on an exceedingly high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, to Jesus, all these things I will give you if you fall down and worship me. Now, Jesus ultimately is going to receive all these things anyway. He's going to come back. He's going to rule the whole world. But Satan was offering Jesus a shortcut. Jesus, you don't have to die on the cross. You don't have to suffer. You don't have to be mocked and humiliated. If you bow down and worship me, Satan, I'll give it all to you right now. That would not be a temptation unless Satan had the ability to deliver the goods. Am I right? Jesus referred to Satan as the prince of this world. Again, God is ultimately in control, but he has given quite a bit of rope, leash, latitude to Satan because of the fall of man in the Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve disobeyed God, they forfeited their dominion over this planet and gave it over to Satan. So when people complain, how could God be a loving God, a good God, when all these bad things happen, why does he allow it? Because we live in a world that's fallen, we live in a fallen world, cursed by sin because of man's poor choices. God is not the source of anything evil. Satan is. Man is complicit in that evil. But it's going to come to an end pretty soon. Again, there would have been no temptation here for Jesus to take the devil's offer unless the devil could deliver. And so we live in a world where we see people who are billionaires, trillionaires, gazillionaires, people who are worshipped as gods in the entertainment industry, rock stars, musicians, actors, you name it, uh, CEOs of big corporations, and people say, wow, I'd sure like to be him or her. I'd like to have what they have. 
but the vast majority of them got their stuff from the wrong source. And if you've ever wondered how people could take on that worshipful attitude towards another human being, well, you see it right here. All this I will give you if you'll bow down and worship me. Now, that doesn't mean that everyone who has achieved success is a devil worshiper, but in many cases, they've said in their heart of hearts, I'll do whatever it takes to be rich, to be famous, to be powerful. And you know what? The devil answers those kinds of prayers. He really does. Job 1.12 The Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he has, Job, is in your power. Only do not lay a hand on his person. So God gave the devil permission to test Job to the very limit, to the very breaking point, doing anything and everything except taking his life. Remember what Jesus said to Peter. Peter, I just thought you ought to know, the devil has asked permission to sift you like wheat. And Peter's thinking, of course you said no, Lord, right? And Jesus said, and afterwards, (laughs) in other words, I said yes. I gave him permission to sift you like wheat. And afterwards, you will strengthen your brothers. So one of the reasons God allows trials and testings in our lives is so we can help others. If you haven't gone through it yourself and come out the other side, you can't help somebody else, right? That's one of the reasons God allows these things to happen, to strengthen us so that we can strengthen others. And so we see, as he is personally indwelt by Satan, the Antichrist, will be given authority over every tribe, tongue, and nation. It's happening to us incrementally every day. You know that, right? Vaccine passports. They're starting to implement those in certain countries where you won't be able to travel without one. And I told you already, in Oregon, they've passed a law where you cannot enter a business or a church without a mask, unless you've been vaccinated. We're just at the very beginning of all this, the tip of the iceberg. Where is it headed? It's headed right here in Revelation. We've had other pandemics, you know that, right? This isn't the first one. Oh, our good friend Charlton here has given me a number of new phrases. One of them is, I'm a non-vaxxer. Not anti. Anti sounds really negative, right? Real in your face, anti-vaxxer. No, I'm just a non-vaxxer. There's a lady with a hat shop in Nashville. She created a yellow patch, like the patch that the Jews had to wear in Nazi Germany. Do you remember those? It said Juden on it, Juden, indicating they were a Jew, marking them as a Jew. By the way, you're all aware of the rise in anti-Semitism all over the world, right? Do you realize that's another sign of the last days? Do you realize it was only, what, 60 years ago, 70 years ago, they said never again? As the whole world looked in horror on the Jewish Holocaust, when all the facts came out, which our own beloved Franklin Delano Roosevelt tried to hide. Do you know that they tried to send Jews to America and they were rejected? 
they wouldn't let the boat come into port and let them off of the boat. We were complicit in that, my friends. Wasn't just Hitler, but the whole world looked on when they saw the pictures. The American soldiers going into Germany and taking pictures at, at the concentration camps of all the bodies piled up and so forth. The whole world looked on horror with horror and said, never again, and yet here we are. Right here in our own country, people are being attacked for being Jewish. Again, there's no other explanation, folks, except that they're God's chosen people, and people who hate God are going to hate God's people, and by the way, that includes us. Jesus said that, hey, the world hates me. They're going to hate you too. What a, that's a challenge, folks. Do you love God enough to be hated by family, friends, co-workers, whoever, wherever, whenever, however, do you love God enough to be hated? Because that's what it's going to take in these last days. Anyway, to finish the story, so she created this patch that looks like the yellow patch from Nazi Germany, and it says, not vaccinated. And boy, did the falafel hit the fan, let me tell you. All over the internet. And a lot of people who had some connection to the Holocaust were offended because they just didn't get it. She's not mocking the Jews. She's mocking the Nazis. And she's mocking the vaccine Nazis, the pandemic Nazis, the mask Nazis. And folks, let me tell you something right now. None of it is about your health. Don't even believe for a moment that it's about your health. That is a pile of dog doo-doo. It's about control. And it's all leading up to the book of Revelation. So you can either stand firm we can hang together or hang separately. Because again, we're going to be raptured out of here, but we don't know how bad it's going to get before that happens. So you better be connected to the body of Christ. Let me tell you that right now. You better be plugged in to a body of believers. I don't care how big or how small. A body of believers that believes that every word in the Bible is absolute truth. No variation, no deviation from Genesis to Revelation. Every cross T and every dotted I is the Word of God. Amen. Not all this horse hockey that all these fake false teachers are putting out. Because you take the 46% of millennials who don't know, don't care, or don't believe that God exists... And then you add all the millennials that claim to be Christians but don't know the gospel from a hole in the ground. That doesn't leave us with much, folks. That doesn't leave us with much. Okay. Verse 8. All who dwell on the earth will worship him. Halfway through the tribulation, the whole world, folks. And again, we see this more and more every day. Halfway through the tribulation, the whole world will become engulfed in Satan worship. Do you realize that? Because the Antichrist will be personally indwelt by Satan. The Antichrist will proclaim himself to be God. 
All who dwell on the earth will worship him, and if you don't, off with your head. They will believe that Lucifer, see that's the more popular term. You don't hear many people use the word devil. Satan, Lucifer. There was even a TV series, Lucifer. Lucifer will finally take his rightful place. The Illuminati, the Masonic Order, the Knights Templar, all these people down through the ages have taught that Satan is the enlightened one, the illuminated one. He's the one that offered Adam and Eve the knowledge of good and evil in the Garden of Eden, and God took it away from them. He's the real good guy. And he will finally take his so-called rightful place as the God of this world. All who dwell on the earth will worship him whose names have not been written in the book of life of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. This speaks, folks, those whose names have not been written in the book of life of the Lamb. This speaks of predestination, God's foreknowledge. Again, this is another place where people get confused. In Calvinism, you have the five points of Calvinism. Calvinism teaches irresistible grace, which means if you are predestined, you're going to get saved whether you like it or not because you don't have any say in the matter. It's all God's choice. I don't believe that. I don't believe that's what the Bible teaches. Man has free will. Predestination is where God's sovereignty and man's free will intersect. God gives us a choice, but he also knew before the foundations of the earth everyone that would choose him and everyone that would not. That's predestination. That's foreknowledge. God dwells in the here and now. He doesn't dwell in the past, present, or future. He dwells outside of the realm of space and time. Everything is right now for God. So he knew before he created this world who would receive him and who wouldn't. Do you believe that? Do you buy that? That's foreknowledge. That's predestination. And so those whose names have not been written in the book of life of the Lamb, slain from the foundation of the world, even Jesus' sacrifice on the cross was already a done deal before this world was even created, as was the salvation of all those whom God knew would receive him. Get it? If anyone has an ear, let him hear. Here's the deal, folks. This is why so many people don't have a clue, and when you try to tell them, they think you're crazy. Only those with spiritual insight imparted by God will understand these things written in Revelation. If anyone has an ear, let him hear. Where do you get that ear? You get it from God. You get it from the Holy Spirit. Those during the tribulation who get their hands on a Bible and have not yet bought into the great deception will still have a chance to understand and be saved. Matthew 16, 16, and 17, Simon Peter, Jesus asked Peter and the other disciples, who do men say that I am? Well, some think you're Jeremiah, some think you're Elijah, come back from the dead, and so forth. Jesus says, who do you say that I am? Peter answered and said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus answered and said to him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for the flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. There will be those 
during the tribulation who receive this divine revelation that God is alive, God is real, Jesus is real, He is the Savior of the world, and they will be saved. 1 Corinthians 2.14, The natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him. Nor can he know them because they're spiritually discerned. So if you've ever heard somebody say, well, I tried to read the Bible, it just didn't make any sense. That's because you did not have any spiritual discernment. You must be born again. Now, can God speak to the unsaved through his word? Absolutely. Can the Holy Spirit speak to you before you're born again? Absolutely. But then you have a choice to respond by faith or you can reject it. You can either say, it doesn't make sense, therefore I don't believe. Or you can say, I want to understand, so I choose to believe. You see how that works? For thousands of years, people have told God, show me and I will believe. And God has told them, believe and I'll show you. You see how that works? Believe and I will show you. Last verse, 10, he who leads into captivity shall go into captivity I'm going to read this. I hardly ever use this translation, but I happen to like the way they say it here. The New Living Translation says, Anyone who is destined for prison will be taken to prison. Anyone destined to die by the sword will die by the sword. And it's speaking of these tribulation martyrs that we've been talking about. If you're destined for prison, you'll be taken to prison destined to die by the sword, you'll die by the sword. This means that God's holy people must endure persecution patiently and remain faithful. People will be given a choice. Deny Christ and you can live. Take the mark and you can live. Don't take the mark and you will die. Don't deny Christ and you will die. People will have a choice. In fact, that's already happening in certain parts of the world. It hasn't come to that yet here in America, but that doesn't mean it won't. In fact, at some point, it will. Not it might, it will. Only God knows when. God's holy people must endure persecution patiently and remain faithful. The Bible says he who endures to the end will be saved. Our patience and our faith is based upon who God is and the knowledge that ultimately His justice will prevail upon this earth when Christ returns and we return with Him. But this is particularly true for the tribulation saints. They must endure persecution patiently and remain faithful, and most of them will be martyred for their faith. Matthew 6.10 your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Did you know the Lord's Prayer is a second coming prayer? Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, and it's going to happen, folks, and I want to be a part of it, don't you? Okay, let's stand. Just before Nikki leads us in a closing song, I'm going to do a couple things. One, I'm just going to pray over our food in advance. Father, thank you for the fellowship we're about to have, the barbecue, the potluck. We ask your blessing upon the food and the hands that have prepared it. Pray that you'd bless us with a great time of fellowship. And Lord, we want to remember that this is Memorial Day weekend. And Lord, this is a time when we remember and we honor 
all those fallen heroes, men and women who laid down their lives in sacrifice for this country, for this nation, to keep us free. And Lord, we pray your blessings upon every family of every fallen hero. Lord, those especially who recently have lost loved ones in this Middle East conflict that's been going on for a long time now. Lord, and others around the globe who have lost their lives in training exercises and various ways as they're serving in the military. Lord, bless the military families this weekend. We pray that we would not ignore them or forget them and forget the true meaning of this holiday. It's very important. Lord, we thank you for all those who have laid down their lives for us. And we especially thank you for the one who laid down his life on the cross of Calvary, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Let's have our heads bowed, eyes closed for a moment. If anybody needs prayer, please raise your hand. If it, either for you or someone else. Lift your hand up. I want to pray for you. Father God, you see these hands. You know each one. You know their hearts. Lord, we pray, first of all, for anyone who might not know you, that you would draw them to yourself, that you'd give them that gift of faith and that gift of repentance, that they might receive Christ as Lord and Savior this very day and be born again by the Spirit of God. Lord, I also lift up those with health issues, that you would pour out your healing oil upon them. You are the great physician. You're the healer of our bodies. We pray for health and healing where needed. Father, for financial support, Lord, those who are struggling in that area, that you would make provision for them. And Lord, you would help us whenever and however possible to be supportive of those who are struggling. Lord, we are the family of God, the body of Christ. We need to hang together, pull together, support one another. We pray for your provision, whether it's the need for a job or, Lord, just a box of food. We ask for your provision, Lord, that you might be honored and glorified uh, by us, in us, and through us. Pray for those struggling with relationships, whether it be marriage, friendship, a co-worker, a classmate. Lord, we pray for healing, for broken relationships, repair and rest, restitution, restoration, for strained relationships, Lord. Lord, you are the great reconciler, the great healer. Please heal those broken relationships, we ask in Jesus' name. Father, we pray for those struggling with anxiety, worry, anger, doubt, fear, jealousy, all those fleshly emotions that can take a hold of us and take us down the wrong path. We ask for deliverance. We ask for healing. We ask for the ability to repent where we're in the wrong and we have offenses against someone that we ought not to have. We just thank you, God, that whatever we have, have need of, you have the resources that we need. You have the strength, the power, the ability to overcome these things. Lord, you said you came to set the captives free, to heal the brokenhearted, to open the blinded eyes and the deafened ears. We ask you to do that. We give you praise and thanks and glory in Jesus' name. Amen.